Hey, Derek, it's so good to be talking to you again. And I'm really happy I was asked to be on this podcast because I love talking about the Grand to Ground Ultra. And I met you in 2017, the one time the Grand to Ground put on its sister race in Hawaii, um, which was pretty epic. And so I was a runner and you were the photographer there. So it's fun to reconnect. But um, I'm here to talk about the Grand to Ground Ultra because I've done it um, more times than I think maybe there's one other woman who's done it maybe one more time, but I was there in the inaugural year of 2012. I went back in 2014 and then I did the Mana to Mana in 2017. And then, um, as a 50th birthday present to myself in 2019, um, I went back and, you know, each time I went back, I tried to get a little bit better and a little bit smarter, and I had podiumed all the prior times. And 2019, I finally, I finally was the top female, and I met my goal of of being a female in the top ten. It was really important to me to have a woman up in the top ten. So, so I was able to do that, even though I got an hour penalty, which was so painful, which we can talk about if you like. Um, but you know. How, knowing that I was going to talk to you about the Grand to Grand and having received the news a couple of days ago that I did not get into the lottery uh, through the lottery of a race that I really want to run, which was disappointing. It was the Hard Rock 100. I've, I've been trying a long time to get in that race. And I thought, you know what? There's the old adage when one door closes, another opens. And I looked into my heart and said, you know, what do I really want to do in 2024? Like, what is the most um, meaningful, challenging event I could do? And I was, you know, I've had people tell me, when are you going to run a 200? Because 200s are the thing now. I'm like, for reasons I, I won't get into, I'm not interested in that format. The format I really love is the week-long stage race. And so I'm really excited to share the news. I just decided in the last 36 hours, I'm in it for 2024. So now it's going to be my 55th present to myself. It'll be my five time doing one of these stage races. So oh, I'm pretty stoked. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, congrats on coming back. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. That'll be super fun. Um, the, the climate's going to be a little bit different than what you're in right now. In the, the cold, wintry Colorado to nice, sunny, and hot Kanab uh, Desert, as you know. Correct. So I live in the mountains, uh, the San Juan Mountains in southwest Colorado, and I'm sitting here at 9,000 feet, and there's a lot of fresh snow outside. But I just went for a run this morning on some powder. I thought, this is great practice for sand running. It's the same <laughs> kind of pitter-pattery footstep, you know? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, um, but I love, I just love, love, love the desert and the remoteness from Northern Arizona to Southern Utah on the, those BLM lands. It's just a very, very special route and a very immersive off the grid experience. And I just, I'm so excited to go back and to try to recruit some of my G2G alumni friends to join me. Definitely. It's it's interesting because I think a lot of people think of Hard Rock 100 as like a bucket listing, which it is. Like, I would love to run Hard Rock someday and it sounds like you would too. But like those mountains are just incredible. But on, on the other hand too, like the like the desert in South or Southern Utah and Northern Arizona is just incredible as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, they're, you know, apples to oranges for sure. Um, but 
you know, I, I do love desert running. I love the heat. And, um, so even though I live here in the mountains, um, in the wintertime climate, I can get ready for it next summer. Definitely. Well, let's talk about, let's talk about like why you wanted to sign up again. Cause obviously like, like hard rock was your goal, but like that's everyone like wants to get into hard rock and there's such a small percentage chance of getting in, but, um, it's not like grand to grand is, is a terrible race by any means. So, um, like what kind of like mental fortitude does that take to sign up again? Like knowing that you've done it now four times and like how hard it can be in such a challenge, like both physically and mentally, like how do you even like come to terms, I guess, to signing up for this time? Well, I feel like this event has had a, a real impact on my adulthood. I, I mean, it's, I kind of found myself and, and had a lot of personal growth out there in the desert. The first time I did it, I was in my early 40s and just trying to hit my stride as an ultra runner. And, um, you know, there are, you have profound experiences out there mentally and physiologically. And it is so special to unplug for a week. I mean, the only other experience I can compare it to is when I've done an eight day rafting trip on the um, Colorado river under the rim and you are under the rim of the grand Canyon um, off, you know, unplugged for those days. It's a similar thing being out in um, on the grand to grand ultra course. But what I love about it and the reason I'm like, why I want to go back rather than um, try a 200 is it's um, it's an exciting race. Whereas with 200s, it is, you know, everyone just goes steadily from start to finish. And it almost, for almost every competitor, except the very, very best at the top, it just seems to devolve into death marching and sleep deprivation. And and if you're a runner who loves to run, you know, after the first 100 miles, you're just, you know, barely putting one foot in front of the other. And this is based on having friends I know, um, run 200s and I've paced one of them at one of them, but with a stage race, every day is a race, you know, at at a distance, I love the 50 K to 50 mile. So you devote yourself to doing the best you can on that day from getting from, from point A to point B, and then you get to camp and you recover and you hit reset. And it's also the best combination of, you know, you get really spread out on the course during the day and you can go for hours being by yourself and not talking to others when you're on the course. But then you get into camp and the the camp experience is so um it's so special and and social in a way that's almost old fashioned, you know, you, the art of conversation is rekindled because no one's on their devices. you you have this shared experience that, and it gets very tribal. You kind of bond with your seven temp mates. Um, so I just, it, I just get such a kick out of it. And, you know, I have, I really pride myself in longevity in this sport. I'm in my 30th year of, of being a runner without much of a break, except, you know, like for my two pregnancies long ago. And so I've just kept at it and, um, I want to keep testing myself as I age. And so it's kind of, you know, from the times I did from 2012 to 2014 to most recently in 2019, I'm like, who's to say I can't get better as I age. So it's kind of a personal test, you know, so I'll just be racing. I won't be racing others. I'll just be looking at my watch and trying to 
do the best I can on each stage. Yeah, you brought up a really good point. Like they're just in running in general, like it's such a, I don't even know how you would explain it. Like there's so many like aspects to running where like maybe you like track running or maybe you like running across the United States or stage racing or a 200 or hundreds or 50 Ks or like a marathon, like all these different things. Like running isn't just like, it has to be a marathon or it has to be an ultra. Like there's so many different aspects of running and it's super cool. And it's cool that at Grand to Grand, you can find people that love doing exactly stage racing. And, mm-hmm. Or at least maybe they maybe they are excited about it when they sign up, maybe not so much yeah. after a couple of days. <laughs> and we should all let's just clarify that running is includes a heck of a lot of hiking. I mean, it's the Grand Grand similar to a high mountain race like Hard Rock in that regard, in that you have to embrace the lower gear of hiking and you have to become a patient, steady tortoise because of the pack weight. The combination of the pack weight and the sand will mean that 12 minutes per mile seems fast. Like, you know, most people will be doing maybe, you know, four miles an hour at a 15 minute average pace, but a lot of people are only going three miles an hour fast hiking. So it, you get a new sense of slow. And so it can, it, it can be really hard on the elite speedsters who enter the grand to grand because they get frustrated and they just blow up on day three because they like, they, they're like, how can a 50 K take me eight hours? That seems so slow to them, but they, you know, you need to cultivate that patience and endurance to be out on your feet a long, long time because the pack and the sand and the heat will slow you down. Yeah, definitely. Like the, the pacing and the strategy changes so much over the course of the week, because if you look at like a 200, for example, like, yeah, like two, two and a half days, these people can get these done. And maybe the distance is the same at grand to grand, but the strategy is completely different because like you're saying, you're, you're carrying a pack, you're carrying your food for the week, all these different things, these variables come into play. Like even you know, your sleeping setup can drastically affect how your race turns out. Like you can bring a zero degree bag and be warm all night, but then you're just suffering throughout the day when you're carrying all that extra weight and bulk around. Oh yeah, we can talk about <laughs> temperature variation and thermoregulation at the Grand to Grand. Is a definite challenge. You're going to have everything from triple digit heats when you're when you're crossing those desert plateaus to some really cold nights when you're in higher elevation in stage five and six. Yeah, that's for sure. I think a lot of people are surprised too, because just like the general like idea of the desert is like, oh, it's always warm. It's always hot. But that's not reality. Like right now in Kanab, like I know it's like the temps are in the 30s or something. It's middle of the day. Like it's at 5,000 feet. It's high desert and it gets cold and they don't get a lot of snow, but the temperatures drop drastically. I remember the last stage, the final short stage of 2014. Um, Tess and Colin made a really tough call on the um, the last day to shorten the course and and get us out of there because they were saying that there was a wicked hailstorm coming and we were so disappointed like we 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 felt cheated we wanted to go the full distance we're like come on we go we were just going to do this little fun run of only a couple miles and they want us to get out of there they were right like an hour after we decamped there was golf ball sized spiky hail coming down from the sky and so they you know yeah 
you can have golf ball size spiky hail coming down. You can have the slot canyon flooding and they have to make the tough call to reroute. It can get pretty crazy out there, which, you know, gets to the bigger issue of adaptability. Like a lot of, a lot of this race is about being able to adapt to changing circumstances. So yeah. do you enjoy that aspect? Because I know like, I like can say a 50 K or a 50 miler, there is a little bit of that. where like, okay, I got to change my strategy a bit. But when you're out there for an entire week, it's not like you can just look at the weather every day and know exactly what you're going to run through for the next four or five hours. Like you really have to plan for an entire week. So is that an enjoyable aspect of stage racing to you? Well, it's, it's an adventure. I mean, right. The, the definition of adventure is when the outcome is uncertain, when you can't, you know, that's what makes it an adventure. And I tell you, every edition I've done, something, some crazy thing has happened where I've had to MacGyver it and fix it on the fly and just not freak out. Um, for example, like the first time I did it back in 2012, it's funny, it's when handheld water bottles were still a thing rather than just um, the kind of bottles we now have on shoulder straps. And so I was running with two of my handheld bottles in my hands and your, your water is your life, right? And if you, if something happens, if you lose something, if something breaks, you're out of luck. Like no one's going to fix it for you. There's no aid station or helper that's going to fix it. And so on day two, I tripped and fell really badly into this spiky bush. Like everything out in the desert is spiky and it punctured my water bottle and I was like, oh my God, I don't have a water bottle now. And thankfully the hole was toward the bottom and I had brought my duct tape. So I duct taped the hole and the rest of the week I just carried the bottle upside down. So the hole was on top. So the water, <laughs> so that happened. And then in 2019, I was running along on stage one with my raid light pack and it has this wire system on the side. And I felt suddenly this pop in my bag started bouncing and the wiring system had broken. I'm like, oh my gosh. But I happened to have a drawstring in my shorts. So I like took it off. I used the drawstring in my shorts to tie the pack. And so you just have to. And I kept going. Like I didn't freak out. Stuff like that is going to happen. Your feet are going to fall apart. You're going to puke. You just have to adapt and um, be really calm. You know, it, it takes a personality that's very calm and can handle surprises. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about that, like from the mental aspect, because like, I think it's kind of fun. Like when you're out there, you have to kind of like you're saying MacGyver things and figure it out on the fly. And like, it may look goofy or janky in real, in normal life, like real life, I guess. But when you're out there in the moment, like you, you have to do what you need to do to survive. But at the same time, though, some, sometimes those things can be really frustrating for people. And like from a mental side, it's just like, okay, like my race is over now because I have a blister or this happened or that happened. So is there a way to train yourself mentally for a week-long race? Or is it kind of like trial by fire, just jump in and do it? You know, I would say you have to brace yourself mentally for how difficult and frustrating it'll be and practice turning that around in your head. And to give an example, so I'm, I used to be a running coach too until two years ago, I coached runners and I had a handful of clients. I, I also coached for the Grand to Grand. And in 2015, I had a client who we knew would be toward the back of the pack and maybe chasing cutoffs. And the thing about the Grand to Grand is 
it is harder for slower people because if you're a faster runner and you get to camp earlier, then you have more time to recover. You have more time to let your clothes dry out from the sweat and put your feet up. Whereas if you're toward the back of the pack, you are getting in near sunset. You don't have as much time to recover. You feel like you're late to a party because everyone else has been hanging out and enjoying each other's company. And there suddenly you show up. And so I prepared my client. I'm like, this is how it's going to be. And you're going to feel frustrated. You're going to feel sorry for yourself. So let's practice turning that around. And we made a strategy for her of really making it a badge of honor that she was going to be toward the back of the pack. Like she's going to be like, I, you know, just rocking it and have a real sense of pride that she was out on the course longer. So that whole mental shift of feeling proud and keeping a sense of humor, being toward the last every day, she did so well. And it helped her because on day one, she was puking on day one from altitude and heat sickness. Other people might've dropped out on day one with the kind of first stage she had, but she's like, this is a badge of honor. I've got more to brag about when I get through this. And she kept a great attitude. And then she steadily climbed up in the ranks. And by the end of the week, she was in like right in the middle. So I was so proud of her. But having that kind of like bracing yourself for that kind of frustration and it's going to be frustrating. You're going to feel sorry for yourself. Um, and you just got to turn it around. Yeah, And having a sense of humor really helps. Like when you are going up, those sand dunes in the middle of the night and you're like oh my god there are more than 30 of these like it's not just three dunes they keep going and going and you just have to be like how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time and it's just ridiculous um but i'm like getting so excited just talking about this to do it again (laughs) (laughs) oh that's good you reminded me of um of obviously you know who she is but Chrissy Mail and like when I first started ultra running like she was at the top of the game she was like the ultra runner to follow and I don't know if there's like an exact quote but she mentioned something one time in a blog or a video about how like she just tries to smile like smile at the volunteers if she's suffering she smiles just the act of smiling and thinking positive can really affect your race and the outcome and I've noticed that a lot. Like if I'm having a really awful long run or race, I just smile and like talk to people. It's like, oh yeah, this isn't that bad. I signed up for this because it's fun. I remember like laughing hysterically at about 2.30 a.m. toward the end of the long stage in the middle of the week because the course did something it had never, this was 2019. You know, normally when you get to fences, there's like a little stepping bridge over it or there's a gate you're supposed to close we get, I got to this point where there's a fence and it's like this barbed wire fence and there's a course marker on the other side. And it's one of those things where you can't go over it, got to go through it. And there was, you know, I had to take off my pack, throw it on the other side and like army crawl on my belly. And so I'm like, eye level with red ants. And I'm like, who does this at 2.30 in the morning? And I'm like, I do. I said that out loud. I'm like, I do. And I just started laughing because it was so absurd. So that's like, you know, you have moments like that. I never would have imagined. But I got through it. I got through the fence. got through the stage. It was pretty crazy. 
That's funny. I think that's a funny thing about running and just adventure stuff in general. It's like you're doing things that from the outside look totally absurd, but in the moment it's like, well, that's what you got to do to like make it happen and to survive. It's kind of fun. Do you think that's, um, that's one of the biggest takeaways you've had from running grand to grand and just ultras in general is that it's taught you to deal with maybe a miserable situation, but in a fun and or positive way. It's definitely taught me I can get through hard things. Like, you know, I, 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 for whatever reason, I do well at this format. And so it gives me confidence and it's, it definitely translated to other aspects of life. And when I got back to my regular life, I like really realized that I have a wild streak that a lot of my peers don't have. And um, so I just appreciated that time. It also, it just, it's very much like a retreat and a mental retreat in terms of thinking time. So I do some very, very deep thinking out there when I'm slogging along. Um, so it's just kind of a, it's like an active meditation retreat with a 20 pound pack on your back. <laughs> Maybe even call it like some fasting in there, right? Okay. So let's talk about fasting <laughs> and why I got that hour penalty. So, okay. um, cause I just want to tell people the mistake I made in 2019. So I was super committed to be as efficient and lightweight as I could be in 2019 and really dial in my nutrition and my choices. And so I got my pack lighter than it's ever been. So on at the start of stage one, when it was fully loaded with all my food for the week and I had my two things of waterfall, I think it weighed still weighed under 19 pounds. So it was, you know, that's pretty good. Um, but I cut it a little too close. And so there's something in the rules, which I wasn't aware of. In addition to having the necessary number of calories at the start of the week, which you need, which I had a little bit extra than the minimum calories, you also have to have a certain weight of nutrition. And the rules enforcer will periodically check your pack and make sure you have enough nutrition in terms of not just calories, but also weight. And so I got into trouble because I ate through my food a little too quickly, especially on the long stage. And so I think it was stage five, I got my pack checked and he's like, mm -mm -mm, you're too light. And um, it was just terrible. So I'm like, what? I'm getting an hour penalty. Like it's going to knock me out of the top 10. So I had not reserved enough food. But um, what was crazy is then it basically made me fast the next stage because I needed to have enough food after the next stage. So I ran stage five, which is the one through the, um, the slot canyons, basically on fumes, like hardly like I think I had one waffle or so. I had like 250 calories for the whole day. And I was like, oh, my God, what if I pass out? Like, what if I what if I can't finish and suddenly instead of winning, I'm DNF. And it was just a real lesson in in. Um, being able to transcend that, and I wouldn't recommend this, but the fact is, is if you have an adequate hydration and electrolytes, you will get through it. Like you, you will feel horrible, but your body will be forced to burn the fat it has in storage and you can suffer through it. So it was, kind of, it was amazing to like run 
and finish in such a depleted state and get through that. Cause I thought, Oh my God, this is, this is it going to be it. Like I won't be able to do this, but then I did it. It was just, a, it was a, it's like this weird, gruesome, but really interesting science experiment. Yeah. It's kind of like an impromptu science experiment where it wasn't planned, but you figured I'm it out. I'm bringing more calories this time. I'm not going to go that light. I'd rather, <laughs> I'd rather have more food. What are you going to bring for calories this time now that you've done it so many times? Like, is there something specific you've um, been interested in recently? You know, I've really switched things up. I mean, I always love the salty backpacker meals. Oh my God. Like the dehydrated backpacker meals at the end of the day. I just, those are the best. Um, I don't use gels anymore and they're not really efficient. And to, you know, any, any food you bring, you want it to be pretty calorie dense. And um, so I won't have as many simple sugars like gels and things like I will, I'd rather have a bar that's 250 calories than a bunch of powder and simple sugar. Um, I do like the protein recovery mixes. Um, I, I tend to use Goo Roctane um, recovery mix, but there are other good brands. But I've realized that in addition to having a packet of recovery mix for every day at camp to have as, as soon as I get to camp, I think I'll also bring some of that recovery shake stuff to have in the middle of some of the stages because I can just mix it at a checkpoint with water. So that might be good liquid, you know, high calorie liquids. Um, but I don't know. I haven't thought about it that much yet. Um, I'm just not going to cut it as close as I did last time. Yeah, it's interesting how part of the strategy in this race is having a balance of, of like stuff that's adequate and appropriate for you, but then also not too much and not too little because either either direction can really screw up your race and not be ideal. Yeah. Yeah. And you got to be self-sufficient, you know, um, if I was really proud, like I always was really, I only use what I brought, you know, some people who drop out mid midweek and give their food away. Nope. That's not allowed. You got to only eat what you bring. So. That's Definitely. part of the part of the fun. <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's fun because it is kind of like a not necessarily a math equation. I guess to a certain extent it is, but it's just a logistical thing of like, how am I going to make this work to you know, whatever your training is at the moment and how your body's how fit or how fit you are in that moment? And it, it's fun. It's interesting to see like what people do. Oh, it's so, and just the puzzle of getting it to fit in your pack, you know. Yeah. Um, so I, you know. I, I go as minimalist as I can. I was debating whether to bring a little solar charger potentially to to charge my phone and my watch. And I thought, you know, no, I don't need that. Like I'll probably just, I do bring my phone for emergency and keep it on off or on airplane mode to take photos and to use the notes app to, um, to journal as I go. Um, but I generally tend to have just an old-fashioned regular stopwatch rather than a GPS watch because GPS tracking is not allowed. So even if you do have a GPS watch during the day, when you go to upload it on Strava at the end of the week, you better hide those maps or you'll get in trouble. <laughs> yeah, you get like a, a post-race penalty or something probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, now that you're going to no, be it's doing really it. Cool. I mean, I, I think it's really cool. Tess and Colin have like been kept the whole um, off the grid thing, a really central part of it. And I love that. So I want to be part of that. 
Yeah, let's talk more about that because there's a couple um, elites that we've spoken to recently that are running. Like, I don't know if you know Sarah Ostasuki from from Flagstaff. I don't know her personally, but I'm so excited okay. she's joined. I have huge respect for having followed her um, her Cocodona win, and yeah, she seems amazing. Yeah, she she's really fun, just a really strong, gritty runner. But one thing that she mentioned was that she's excited just for the week away from being on her phone. Like, you're away from work and you can't even get distracted with like. Oh, here's a notification, like a little red dot on your phone. It's like, nope, you're just out there for a week. And you're like you were saying earlier, a few minutes ago, Sarah, that like you're out there and you just like you talk to people. Like you are forced to speak with people and actually have a conversation. You're not like having this kind of halfway conversation where you're on your phone checking emails and like talking to somebody. You're actually having a conversation versus just talking. Yeah, Yeah, it's wonderful. And you do things like journaling or um play games or yeah it's very very back to nature yeah so now that it's your your fifth time essentially like i don't know like why did you want to sign up like we're kind of circling back a little bit but like why are you doing it for the fifth time versus just i don't know doing another hundred or something i well the i feel like the route is calling me like every time i revisit that route I realize I had forgotten about, but then I remember certain parts of it that are just, I mean, the landscape is truly spectacular. Um, and I just want to see it again. It's like, it's like this special place that, I mean, it's almost spiritual. It's this, you know, it's, it's how I feel about the San Juan mountains also outside my window. It's just, you know, even if you are lucky enough to it's like you with the Grand Canyon. I mean, why would you want to go back to the Grand Canyon? It's because it's, you know, it's such a special place. So that's a, that's a big part of it. But also, um, as a, again, I love the format and I, I want to compare myself to my 2019 version and just, you know, I, I, I like going back and doing races multiple times just as a personal challenge to compare it time after time. Um, and I'm just, I'm eager for this as much as I'm eager for the off the grid and the solitude during the day. I also really value the socializing aspect. And I know at least one old friend from the grand to grand is planning to do it again. Um, and I'm hoping to make new friends and, um, and it's very escapist. I mean, it is like, it is eight days or so where no one, no one can reach you. <laughs> yeah, that may or may not be the best part of the entire race is just being like, kind of isolated for a week. <laughs> yeah. Let's jump back to something you said at the beginning, and it kind of relates to what you just said now. But um, when you were talking about 200s, you're not interested in them. And like, that's, that's great. Like, I think it's fine that like you're doing what you're interested in. Like, it's actually probably the best way to live your life. But like, why do you think it's important to do something that's intriguing or inspiring to you versus doing things that other people want you to do? Because if you ask somebody to be like, oh, you should run Western States, you should run Tahoe 200, you should run Tour de Jeans or something. But those aren't interesting to you. And like you're running Grand to Grand as a stage race. So I guess it's not even necessarily about Grand to Grand. It's like, like, why are you doing something that's inspiring to you and not just following, like, say, the trends of running at the moment? Well, you know, I'm, I'm old now. So like, I don't have to do anything like it's being older, you know, in my mid fifties now means that anything I do 
it's it's just for me, like I'm not really competitive anymore. I, I'm not sponsored. I don't have to please anyone else. Um, and I, but I also recognize like my running days have a shelf life. You know, my knee is, I have a troublesome knee. Um, and so I only want to do special things that are truly meaningful. Um, and I think that, um, you know, Generally, I try to do 100 miler every summer. That means a lot to me. And and I choose those based on both practical reasons, like whether I need a qualifier to reenter Hard Rock or Western States Lottery, or, you know, do I really, is there some other reason that, that's drawing me to it? Like, do I want to explore that landscape? Um, do I want to travel, you know? Um, so that those are, I, I just feel like, it's easy to get caught up in FOMO or to feel like you should do something. For example, I was thinking about this coming summer and one of only two DNFs I've had over all the years I've been doing ultras is I DNF'd at the 2018 Uray 100. And so I was thinking, oh, I should, go, I really should go back to Uray. I should get that monkey off my back. I should finish that darn 100 miler. And I really thought like, I actually don't like that route that much. I can run those trails anytime. Like if I'm going to do a mountain hundred, there's so many others that seem more interesting to me. So you really have to look in your heart because ambivalence is the precursor or prerequisite to a DNF. Like an ambivalence, you can't start anything ambivalent or feeling like you're doing it because you should and not because you want to. Like you have to have such a strong desire to finish the DNF. And I will, I'll add, you know, I've seen so many people drop out of the grand to grand and it tends to happen in, on the long stage and stage three. And it's because they lose the desire. And it's so easy to lose the desire when you're out there. And it's so easy to trick yourself into thinking it's a win-win situation to drop out, drop out because you'll be thinking, oh, you know, I've, I've got to experience a taste of this. And if I drop out, I'll get to hang out and connab and maybe volunteer. And it just seems like it, to make all the sense in the world to drop out, like it's a win-win situation. And then everyone regrets it. I mean, first of all, going back solo and hanging out in Kanab is just kind of depressing by yourself. <laughs> like you don't want to spend the rest of your week doing that. You want to stay with your tribe in the, in the grand to grand. Um, but so just be aware that your mind will play tricks on you and you have to remember, even when you're feeling ambivalent and wanting to quit mid stage, you have to keep that objective mind. Like the desire is there. You're going to want to finish. You, you're, you're guaranteed to regret it if you drop out. So my, my last question was going to be like, what's your biggest tip for grand to grand? And is it related to what you just said? <laughs> I think it is. <laughs> Um, I mean, I have so many tips for preparing for the grand to grand, but just recognize that, you know, you can be super physically fit and that's in no way a guarantee that you will do well. There's so much mental and logistic preparation that matters. And so much about it is what I call systems management. It's managing your systems. It's managing your your body temperature, your feet, your pack chafing spots, your calorie and hydration and electrolyte intake, 
So you just have to be really smart and learn how to manage your systems. And if you are a slow and steady tortoise, like you don't need to be, you, you, you'll do fine. You don't need to be fast, but you have to be smart to do, to finish this event. Yeah, I would 100% agree with that. And I would even, maybe I'm just kind of overreaching here, but I feel like the faster you are, it's like, or the more just into straight running you are, maybe the less likely you are to do well because you're not just running all day. Like, yeah, you are running, but there's so many more aspects that come into play in a race like this. And it, it's exciting. It's exciting to watch. Yeah, it sure is. Well, yeah. will you be out there this year? I'm uh, not racing, but I'd like to race it one day. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've actually I've been uh, like speaking with Colin a little bit about it. How much fun it would be to, to go out there and run it. So, and then after um, I guess I've, after being out there for so many years and keeping in touch with everybody that's ran it, like it definitely makes me want to run a stage race, specifically Grand to Grand, because like I love that area, and like I love desert running, and it's just it's a really cool tour of that part of the U.S. And it, it's cool. It's awesome. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, let's wrap it up here, Sarah. And- I'm excited for you to race it again. And then also to see your write-ups about the, the race after like your sub stack is interesting and you're a good writer. So it will be fun to, to see your experiences and hopefully uh, run number five is as good as the last four. You know, thank you so much. And I have all my past race reports and gear lists on my old blog, which is called the runners But now I have a weekly news re- newsletter on Substack at sarahrunning.substack.com. And you just gave me the idea that I should migrate all my old posts over to my new newsletter. So it's available in the archive. So I'll try to do that. If people want to, to read my past race reports, see what I pa- packed in the past. <laughs> yeah. I remember it's reading those that. years ago and like, I have a goldfish memory, so I don't really remember too much about them, but I'll have to dig through them again and we'll put them in the show notes so people can, can check them out. But you should definitely migrate it over though because there's a lot of good information in there. Thank you. Yeah, well, thanks, Sarah. And um, we'll have to talk soon and I'll definitely see you, if not sooner, but in Kanab next fall. That's great. All right, good luck to everyone. I hope this has made other people want to join me there. The, the more, the better. I would agree with that. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Sarah. We'll talk soon.